Oh, this is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. And it's all that I need. That's right. All right, Genesis 6, 7, and 8 tonight. And uh, last week, you know, of all of Adam and Eve's children, we hear the story of Cain and Abel. You know, I think since the beginning of Genesis, we have learned a word called choice. Even in the perfect world, God put those two trees to make sure that that they knew they always had a choice. And, and the choice is, am I going to go my way or his way? It's not at all complicated. So um, we see in Cain and Abel that they, they too had a choice in how they were going to give their offering to the Lord. And their offering had nothing to do with the fact one was a farmer and the other one was a uh, livestock or sheep herder or what, whatever. No, in fact, um, I would say Cain's offering was probably much more beautiful than the fat portions of some sheep that Abel gave, but it has nothing to do with those things. It had to do whenever we offer our offering to the Lord. What is our heart motive? What does he see? And what a contrast in the two hearts. And we talked about guarding our heart. And we need to guard it because it's so easily pulled into the self direction. And we'll see it again tonight, too. But then we saw how long people lived. And, and the mathematician that helped us see that by the time Adam died, there probably was a million people on this earth. And... Uh, well, by the time the flood came, there probably was 7 billion. And, and so God had this way of exploding the population. But yeah, we saw uh, the sad story of Cain and how he chose to walk out of God's presence. He did not, he had, he had white space. Remember, there was white space that he could have chosen. There was such an opportunity for him to, to just repent and confess and then repent. God, God just made it so obvious, and yet he was so stuck in himself. And we ended last week with the fact that, that Noah was born. He was born to a man named Lamech. And, and even from his childhood, there was, must have been something about Noah that they knew they, they knew was going to be special. He was going to have, he had this, he had this, well, we'll see again tonight. He had this walk with God. He had this relationship with God that, that was noticeable. So it says here, he will comfort us in the labor and the painful toil of our hands caused by the ground the Lord has cursed. I think his dad knew there was something about Noah that it was he was positive. He kept he kept shifting his eyes to God and instead of always the uh, woe is me, you know, even though the ground was now cursed and, and they were sweating and it was hard work and it was there was something positive. Don't you love being by people that are just positive? You know? There's nothing worse than some whiner. That's what I say. They're just always something to find fault with, you know, and we have so much 
and a thing Noah because he knew his relationship with God and what a blessing that was. He couldn't whine. He just, he always saw joy in something. That's what I dare say I saw in, in Noah. Now, tonight's lesson. When men began to increase in number, and, and, there, and there were the daughters born to them, so now we're, we're increasing in number fast. We, we know that, but now things are changing to the point that the sons of God and the daughters of men, well, these, these sons of God looked at those daughters of men and, and saw how beautiful they were, and they married, they married some of them, and they just did whatever they chose. Now, that word choice is in here again, and this God does not want us to be puppets or push a button and they'll listen and obey and do what they're told. No, he wants our love and our obedience. He wants that because we do appreciate what he's done, and we do love him, and he does take priority in our life. That's, that's what God wants, so we make that choice. Now, who are those sons of God? Who are they anyway? You know, sons of God, daughters of men. You know, we could get really confused and complicated. And, and I don't think from what we've studied, I don't think that it is that complicated. Um, sons of God, many times in the Old Testament, sons of God were referred to um, the people of God. So whenever you would read the sons of God, it meant the people of God. So let's say they're the believers. They're, they're the ones like, like Noah turned out to be. They believed. They believed God, and they walked accordingly. And then there were the, the daughters of men, which I think, too, is simply are the unbelievers. And I had you in your questions, I had you look in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. God was really, really firm. Even in, in uh, later, we see with Abraham, we see in, in uh, the law of Moses, in Deuteronomy, we see um, Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. It's very firm and and it makes perfect sense. Do not be yoked together. Do not be joined together. Doesn't mean you can't have friends that aren't believers. I mean, or you can't, you know, you're going to be have acquaintances that aren't believers. It's not that you, you and I need to just go in our little cocoon or little corner and just stick with just those believers. No, no, but he's talking about joined together, yoked. Do not be yoked with an unbeliever. And very practically, why? I mean, for, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? You're on totally two different roads you know, when, you are, when you've been made right by Jesus and you want to listen to him and you want to live your life accordingly, that means you are on the road of righteousness. You, and then if you are so caught up in yourself, that's just totally two different roads that are going in opposite directions and they'll never intersect. So how can you be joined with somebody and go into two totally different directions? 
And then he goes on and says, or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and, and it says like Baal, but what is another word for an idol? Usually it's I, right? It's idolatry, you know, is I. And so, you know, you've got two totally different roads. And, and so, and what happened here was that, you know, when Cain went out of God's presence and he then, if there was a million people on this earth, I mean, they're being dispersed all over the world. And, and you're seeing them choose, um, well, they're going to fall into evil. They're choosing themselves, which then will breed itself into just downright evil. And then we have this sentence, and the Nephilim, the Nephilim, I don't really know how that's pronounced, but the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward. Now, the Nephilim, the, the, it means fallen angel. And there's so many theories out there like, um, oh, when Satan fell, he took um, his a third of the demons or the angels with him, you know, the fallen angels. And then, uh, and then they married. So the son, the daughters of men are really, or the sons of God, one of the two, you know, you've got, you're going to turn, they're going to turn into freaks because you've got an angel versus intertwined with a human. And so sometimes people will get that, you know, um, explanation and call that good. But I just, I just didn't, I couldn't, I couldn't accept that. I couldn't accept, I didn't think that that made sense because in Matthew chapter 22, the Jesus himself said these words, Jesus, angels neither marry nor are given in marriage. You know, they're just, they're totally different. So, why can't we just, because we know what happens when, when you have believers and unbelievers um, joining together and you think you can change them, but nine chances out of ten, they will pull you the, in the other direction. And this is probably because, see, it says the sons, the sons of God married the daughters of men. It looks like they married them because why? Because they were beautiful. And, you know, you don't see, while well, they married them and they, they loved God so much and they felt like God wanted them to marry them. You know, no, they were good looking. They were beautiful. And you can just see, this is, this is not going to be good. And so then you have this nymphilum. Did you ever, did you ever wonder? Because every human being has, is, has come from Adam and Eve. And so what created or what happened to make like all of God's enemies or Israelite enemies, like the Amorites, the, the Edomites, the Philistines, you know, what, where did they, where did they come from? What happened to them? Because we know that these particular armies, these pagan nations that, that in the Old Testament, what, where did they come from? And they probably, but they enemies of God, they, 
Well, sometimes you even get to think that they, they might be even bigger in size, we've read. I mean, remember when the spies went into Canaan and, they, and, and 11 of, or 10 of the 12 came back and said, oh, can't possibly. You know, they're so huge, so huge, we feel like we're grasshoppers. You know, and, and so what made them seem so large? You know, where did we get a Goliath? I mean, I sometimes look at, at people, you know, I'm a, I'm a kind of a big Dutch girl. You know, sometimes Dutch girls kind of are notorious for being big-boned. I'll say it that way. And, and um, if I get by some little Asian girl, I feel, like I'm a, I feel like I'm a giant. I feel like I'm a gigantic People are just going to be different sizes, and so I don't. I don't want to think that that these nymphilims. I, I just look at you know what they're the enemies of God. They're the enemies that that will be um, evil and, and terrible and to Israel. And the reason I get that is from this: they were the heroes of old and men of renown. They were the bullies. You know, when we studied Daniel, I looked at Babylon. And then after Babylon came the Persian Empire. And after the Persian Empire came the Greek Empire. And after the Greek Empire, the Roman Empire. Everyone had leaders like Nebuchadnezzar. And they all had leaders that were, according to the people, heroes of old, men of renown. They thought they conquered the world. Nebuchadnezzar thought he was the ruler of the world. He thought he was God. And what did we learn in Daniel? Every one of those earthly empires went down. I mean, no one would have thought Babylon would ever go down. And then obviously Persian and Greek, Greek, but also Rome. Never did they think the Roman Empire would go down. But remember when we did Daniel, how while those nations thought that they were ruling the world, they thought they were the world um, empire, thought they were in total control of everything. God was reinforcing that those empires, anything of this world will go down. And while they're thinking they're, they're it, he is raising up a kingdom that will have no end. And that is such a comfort for us. And I think it all started back then when these bullies thought they were controlling the world and yet they were, they were somehow pulling people to believe that they were heroes, men of renown, and how we so know better. But it, that's just my opinion. But... Even though I know it's just my opinion, I have to tell you a little secret. I did go, I did have to check one, I just needed one source to, because like I said, there's just so many different ways you can look at it, and I just really, really thought about it and pondered it, but um, I went to Matthew Henry. I just had to go to Matthew Henry. Remember in Psalm 119, I told you that his dad made him read a verse of Psalm 119 every day? And that inspired him to just love God's word so much. And he became one of the greatest commentators.
commentaries. He wanted to make the Bible understandable. And so I went to Matthew Henry. And I only say this to just give you a little bit of, of comfort when things come out of my mouth. He agreed with me. He agreed with me. Matthew Henry, he, he too did not want to complicate things with bizarre things. He just said, you know, you got, you got unbelievers and you got believers and you just, they just don't work. And, and, you know, before you know it, you've got enemies of God. And, and it, this is where, because they all started with Adam and Eve. But you know what he also said? And really, he really helped me with this because so many in the course of the last couple of weeks have, have come and said, what if, wonder, wonder, you know, and there's so many questions that, you know, like I said, so many questions, but so few answers. But he helped me to really see when you, when you spend so much time on things that you don't know, that, that don't make sense or, you know, um, you know, trying to figure this all out and, and that we take what we read, but if you don't spend all the time on things. Revelation's the same way. When you spend all your time on things that, that the human mind cannot comprehend, and God didn't, he didn't tell you because he knew you wouldn't understand it anyway. And there are times when he just wants you to trust him. And that's, that's what he wants. Don't, don't spend time on that. Otherwise, you're going to miss. And what is the focus here? What, what do you think is our main focus that we don't want to lose sight of? And that is we don't want to neglect that sin is sin. And God deals with sin harshly. And there is a human race that chose to step away from God from God and their love for themselves took over. And this is what you get. This is the mess you get. That's the message of this from, from Genesis 3 and then Cain and Abel and now the story of Noah and the flood. What in the world happened? It's because wickedness prevailed and they started to just plain love themselves instead of God. To the point that, well, look at what happens. Verse 5, the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become. And that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. Remember how he said, you step out of God's will. You step out into your own self on the, on the road of self. And we even saw that with Cain, how, how once he got on that road, how he was so not only unrepentant, but his anger for Abel turned into bitterness. Bitterness turned into hatred. And then in that white space, when he should have been confessing and repenting and having a chance to be able to make things right, he's premeditating how to kill his brother, how to lure him to the field. See the choice? 
And it's just one of two ways. And it looked like the whole world at that time was deciding to go to their own way, their own selfishness, their own way of of behavior. Remember, they didn't guard their heart. They didn't guard their heart. Remember, we said that when you guard your heart, that is what directs your life. How your heart condition is, is how your life will follow the course of your behavior, the way you make decisions, the priorities that you make, the condition of your heart determines all of that. That's why we need to guard it. We need to spend time. We need to make it, we, may, we need to make that important in our day that, that we so take the time to guard our heart through his word and listen to his voice and is look at every inclination. It said every inclination of thoughts of his heart was only evil. That's all that it was at the time. And the Lord was grieved. King James said he was so sorry. He was so sorry that he made man on earth and his heart was filled with pain. Why did that ever wake me up? Sometimes we think that, you know, or we don't think, we don't even bother to think that God has feelings. Right there, it says that it pains him when we go the wrong way. It pains him. I mean, so he's got feelings, and, and he is so disappointed. He hurts terribly when we disobey. It is a big deal when we don't listen. So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth. Men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and birds of the air, for I am grieved. I am so sorry I made them. But Noah, Noah found favor. King James says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. You know, there's even little songs about it. You know, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I mean, you know, you, we've sung that. But what does that mean, he found favor? And I go back to what we said about him before. There was something even in his growing up, he chose. He chose it. He wanted the God that apparently his dad somehow along the way shared with him about God Almighty, the one and only God, and he bought into it. He found grace. He didn't earn it. He found it. He went looking for it, and he found it. He did his part. He experienced the grace of God and lived his life accordingly. And then look what happens because of that. The Lord found favor with him because of the fact that he he put God first in his life and then oh that's you talk about influence we've we've said that last week look at Cain's influence when we talked about his line and how you know that big blow bag that Lamech you know he, he was saying to his two wives remember he married those two wives and sat him down and said oh, I've killed a man for wounding me and I've killed a young man for injuring me it's like he said so you better make sure you don't cross me because you know it 
again, a bully, a big old bully. And you, know, you can't help it. You talk about being in a profound place in Scripture yesterday and today. But we are experiencing, we are experiencing big bullies who think that they are men of renown. They're heroes. They think they control. They think they're, they're calling the shots. And they absolutely, to me, have no heart whatsoever. I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about, you know, in our, our, maybe some of us are not old enough, but I mean, you think of the Hitlers, the, you think of the Saddam Husseins, and now you look at Hamas, and you, it, it just almost makes you wonder how could anybody vote them in, or how could anybody follow that kind of harpless, animalistic, kind of behavior. I mean, the brutality, the no care for life whatsoever, and yet the pulling power of evil. I mean, it does. It breaks your heart, and we do lift that state up to the Lord tonight. And all the people and the hostages and those who are killed and those who are missing, and and it's just heartless because of bullies. Evil, it, it is, you hear that word on the news all the time, it's evil. And you know what the Lord said then? Because it was, it was going on then as well. I mean, we are living as in the days of Noah. I mean, when you, when you hear the Lord say, you know, I, 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 every thought is evil. Everything about them is evil. And I am going to wipe mankind out. Men and animals are creatures that move along the ground and birds of the air, for I am gr- I'm grieved. I'm sorry I made them. But Noah, Noah found God, and his life proved it. Yeah, this is, we have to take notice of that. And this is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man. Yeah, see how when your heart's right, you're, you've been made right with God. That's, that's what righteous means. I am now right before God. He was righteous. He was blameless. Because I'm sure, well, we're going to see next week that no, Noah wasn't perfect, but... It's a heart. The Lord saw his heart. And, and to the Lord, he saw it as blameless because the Lord was Noah's focus. He was righteous. He was blameless among the people of the time. He cared. He was considerate. He, people mattered to him. People then saw that compassion in him. What a difference the heart condition can make. And then it says, he walked with God. And I put it in my Bible, key. There's the key. When you walk with God, we saw last week, we talked quite a bit about what that meant to walk with God. When we're walking with somebody, we're very aware that they're there. And the same thing is when we walk with God, we are aware that we are 
when we are in the right relationship and he is walking with us and we are walking with him, the fellowship is there. We, we have a desire to live right. We have a desire to want to know him better. We, we have a desire to make him a priority. We desire his will in our life. We'll even say, yes, Lord, to your will and to your way, even when it doesn't make sense, or maybe when it even causes us to hurt. We don't understand your ways always, Lord, but I would say tonight, my, my thought is, I want to be a Noah. I want to be a Noah. I had a lady stop me walking today. She was, he was, she was here yesterday morning. And she says, I'm going to be honest with you. When I heard we were doing Genesis, I thought, oh, no. I don't need that. I know that. I don't need to start way at the beginning. And then she went on to say, and I certainly didn't want to study old Noah. That's what she said. And I appreciated her honesty so much because then she came back and said, I can't believe what I would have missed. I look at old Noah, and, and like I said, I would put the whole premise of this study is I want to be him. I want to be like Noah. In fact, a couple of my friends back there, they, they read the passage every day. And my friend said to her husband, I think when we're done with this lesson, we're going to be in love with Noah. And, I, and they call, you want to be Noah because you love his relationship with God. He walked with God. He worked at that because it changes everything. And it changed how he, it says then, he had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. He had three sons. Can you imagine to have three sons when seven billion people... There's 7 billion people, supposedly, by now, and, and there was only eight that were going in the ark? How, how evil had permeated it through it all. And yeah, look, what, look what, he, what Noah's walking with God did for him. Look at how he raised those boys. And then look at those boys then came back and married women that, that, that believed too. So only eight of them the Lord said, was going on this ark. So I just, I see such a continuation. You walk with God, then your influence. He had to raise those boys right. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight. It was full of violence. Do you want to hear some comparisons I found? Um, you know, as in the, probably I'm doing this because of what's going on in our world right now, but I couldn't help but associate, you know, in the days of Noah, it was just evil everywhere. And I thought, as in the days of Noah, so we are. And I'm going to compare. There was an explosion of population then. And that's obvious for obvious reasons. And in our day and age, I didn't know this, but there's an explosion of population. In fact, every 35 years, the population of the world doubles. So in the, in, in the last few years, we've had this explosion. So in 35 years, and you know, you double the world's population, that's going to take a little, you know, a little um, uh, hard knocks on the resources. 
and another thing that is so prevalent uh, as in the days of Noah and us now is sexual perversion. You think you think we're if you think we're in that category? I would say so. And how about demonic activity was really big in the days of Noah, and and in in my looking up some facts in the last in the recent years, the love of Satan, the worship of Satan, witchcraft has has blown up ten thousand percent. 10,000%, that's how fast people are drawn. They are evil, but yet they're searching, and they're drawn to Satan, and they're, they're drawn to worshiping him. So oh, we're living in that. We're living in that. And then another one was constant evil in the heart of man, that we just read that. Every inclination in their heart was evil. And look at today, every... Every heart of man is, is so full of evil, and that's why you see the evidences of it. And then there was widespread corruption and violence. That is so today, too. So these couple of things that I just saw, yeah, we are in the days of Noah. And what kind of jump starts me with that is that God said, you know what, I've had enough had enough and he destroyed the earth and I'm thinking you know if if what we're going what we're seeing right now if if this isn't the beginning of the end then it is one huge wake-up call it is one big nudge for us to see because we're going to see how perfectly God does what he says I mean there's such a description to this this whole ark business and the whole animal business, God is meticulous, and it happened exactly the way he said. And we can know that as he said it was going to happen, it's going to happen again. So let's read on. So it says, now the earth um, was corrupt and in verse 11, in God's sight, and it was full of violence, and God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence. Because of them, I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. Verse 14, I don't know what day of the week it was, but when I read that, all of a sudden, I started, I started to laugh because I thought, you know, if God is talking to Noah and he's telling him these facts about I'm going to destroy everything, I mean, can you wonder what, what Noah's thinking? Like, wow, you know, you're going to destroy everything? Because what did God say? Every, every men, animals, creatures that move on the ground, I'm so sorry I made man, I'm going to destroy it. I mean, that, that, Noah had to process that. So after he said, I'm going to put an end to all people in, in this violence on this earth, he, he, he says to Noah, so make yourself an ark. I mean, just all of a sudden, he says, so this is what I want you to do, Noah. I want you to, I want you to make yourself an ark. Now, you'd think in the next verses we would, we would read, now what in the world are you talking about? Or, or what in the world is an ark? 
there would there would be a few questions because it was so bizarre. All of a sudden, God said, "So I want you to make an ark." And then God goes right there. There's no questions. Noah doesn't question. I mean, how many how many times didn't you read after God is spilling these details out? You know, and they're so almost unfathomable. You're reading. Noah did everything. Everything God said. No question. No doubt. Because look at right away when God says, so make yourself an ark, and this is how with out of cypress wood, and make rooms in it, and coat it with pitch inside and out. Do you know that the pitch that they used, this was an interesting fact, pitch that they used was obviously to waterproof inside and out, but it was made out of petroleum. Very interesting. Where's most of our oil? Where's most of our oil? I mean, so even back then, there was, they were using oil, petroleum, to make this pitch to be able to waterproof that ark. So then this is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high, make a roof for it, and finish the ark to within 18 inches of the top. Do you think that's detailed? And still, no questions. I mean, you, I mean, I'm sure he's almost spellbounding. 450 feet long. <laughs> that's that's big. And then 75 feet wide, 45 feet high, and then 18 inches from the rooftop. I'm, I mean, they're measuring. It's got to be precise. And then put a door. Put a door in the side of the ark. And, and make a lower and a middle and an upper deck. There's got to be things going in this mind. Now, why do we need three decks? Maybe for my three sons? I, I mean, you don't know what he's thinking, but I'm sure God got a little smirk on his face saying, oh, wait till he hears what he's going to fill these, these, these decks with. He says, I'm going to bring water, flood waters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you and you will enter the ark, and you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring. See, this is when I'm sure it starts getting real interesting for Noah. You are to bring into the ark two of all all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Again, I don't know if this is true, but according to, to man's calculation, that means there could be anywhere between 35,000 and 45,000 animals coming on that boat. Two of every kind of bird, every kind of animal, and of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you and be kept alive. Now, that whole thing about every, every one of those animals, they're going to be on that ark a whole calendar year. And that means not one of those animals are going to die. Not one of those animals are going to kill each other. But the thing that really got to me was when he says... They will come to you because, you know, you wonder, you know, with, with uh, these animals and some of them wild animals, 
you know, was was Noah, did he go to a lion and say, you're kitty, kitty? I mean, you, you don't, I don't mean to be silly, but um, in all realization, how are we going to get two of every one of those animals to come and walk up on this ark? Now, it's not a boat. It's not going to be called a boat because boats sail, and this was not going to sail. It was like a barge. All it needed to do was float. So this ark was barge-like. and But still, how are you going to get these animals to just spontaneously just come and walk up the ramp? But look what he says. They will come to you. You talk about divine power alone. No problem for God. He'll, he'll just direct those animals, and they will obey him, and they will walk onto that ark. But this isn't a fable. This isn't a fairy tale. This is real life. And you talk about sound and unrealistic and impossible. They're going to be kept alive, and you are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and stored away as food for you and food for them. And he's calculating what? Oh, for all those animals and my kids. And you'd think there'd be a few more questions. And look at the next verse. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. You can call him whatever you want, but I'm telling you, there's something about Noah that he doesn't doubt. He doesn't even look at the impossible or the unfathomable and start turning that to God and say, this is ridiculous. He doesn't. Isn't, I want that. I want that kind of trust in him when he says it, and that's it. The Lord then said to Noah, go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. I found you righteous. Now, King James, I have to say, I like King James a little better. When the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, King James said, come into the ark. You know, with go into the ark, it's like, okay, Go, go into it now. You know, I told you about it. Now you go into it. But when you hear come into the ark, it's almost like God is in there already and he is inviting you to come in. And he will be there with you through it all. So come into the ark, you and your whole family. I have found you righteous in this generation. So take with you seven, seven of every kind of clean animal, a male and its mate, you know, this has always stumped me. It's always that two by two by two by two. And then all of a sudden you see seven. Take seven with you of every clean animal, a male and its mate. Tell you, God doesn't miss a thing. You know what? They're going to be sacrificing a couple times on that ark. And then when it's all said and done, they're going to sacrifice. And you can't sacrifice an animal if there was only two of each. Or one of each. 
I mean, male and female. I mean, you couldn't get rid of one of them. So he already had sacrifice animals ready to go. He loves sacrifice. He loves it when we sacrifice to him. And what is sacrifice? It's giving it's giving something of yourself. It's sacrifice. I'm, I'm stopping what I maybe would like to do, and instead I'm going to sacrifice. In the verse, of course, Romans 12, in view of what he's done for you, of his grace and mercy, offer, offer to him as a living sacrifice you. That's that's what's going to be the sweet aroma when, you, when he can smell that very aroma of you sacrificing yourself to him because of what he has done for you. He loves sacrifice, and he made provisions. Okay, then, of course, and then uh, verse 2, take with you seven of every kind of clean animal, male and its mate, and two of every kind of unclean animal, male and its mate, and also seven of every kind of bird, male and female, to keep their various kinds alive throughout the earth. Okay, then verse 4, seven days from now, I will send rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. And I will wipe from the face of the earth every living creature I have made. I mean, he says that a number of times, doesn't he? I am going to destroy this whole earth, every living creature. But, but, But the thing that caught my attention was in verse 4, seven days from now. I mean, no one as sons have taken a hundred years to build this ark. And now the Lord says, okay, come, come now, it's time. And they, they come on, and then wouldn't you think that, all right, the rain's going to start, let's get the show on the road, but seven, that's a whole week, seven days, they just sit there. They just sit there, and nothing happens. I can't even begin to think what's going on on the outside. I mean, it's bad enough when Noah's building it, and they're they're abusing and they're mocking him, and you know what a joker, you know. But then it's all built, and they're on the ark, and and then there they sit for seven days. Can you imagine the abuse that they they heard? Like what a nut! It takes a hundred years to build it, and there they sit, nothing happening. Where's the water, Noah? You know, seven long days of that. But then, look, then it will happen. But I just had a, I just had a look at that. And I, and I saw the word wait in my head, you know. God made him wait seven, seven days. And, and do you get everything done when you ask the Lord? Is it just an automatically done no, and even if the answer is going to be yes, it sometimes makes you wait. Or sometimes it's going to be no. He'll, he'll even make you wait for the no answer because that's, that's part of the answer. He puts on us to wait. It's not a waste of time. It's God's, his timing is perfect. And sometimes waiting is... Something the best things happen when we're waiting. 
Sometimes we, when we wait, we start to cling a little tighter. We, we trust him a little more. When we're waiting for his answer, when we're waiting for him to move in a situation, and he's make, waiting is not a waste of time, not get the show on the road. He is doing a work in your heart, in your mind. Waiting, his time, just like we sang, it's not just a pretty song that we sang tonight, but hopefully that melody and those words will just keep reminding you when you want to hurry, when you don't want to wait. In his time, he makes it all beautiful. He knows just when. And even after all that, there were no questions. And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him in verse 5. Now Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters came on the earth, and Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons and wives and entered the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Pairs of clean and unclean animals and birds and all creatures that, may, that move along the ground, male and female, came to Noah. See, they came, no problem and entered the ark as God had commanded Noah. And after the seven days, the floodwaters came on the earth, just exactly the way God said. In the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, I wonder if that was February 17th. I don't know, but, but I don't think that's important as much as that God wanted us to see that it happened. There was a specific day that this happened on, and he just wants us to know how precise he is. On that day, all the springs of the great deep burst forth, and the floodgates of the heavens were opened, and rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. Do you know there's something to that 40 that number 40, you know, we know that, that the number seven is a biblical number, but the number 40 is a biblical number as well. And when you see the number 40, I want to always remember this too. When I see uh, the number 40 in the Bible, it's for testing and purification. So the number 40 is for testing and purification. Let me give you some more. So we see 40 days and 40 nights of rain. In Exodus 24, it took 40 days for Moses' time on Mount Sinai. Um, 40 days and 40 nights, 12 spies tripped to Canaan in Numbers 13. Israel's time in the wilderness was 40 years. When Elijah, remember his big thing with God and Baal and how powerful God spoke and, you know, Elijah, I mean, wow, that, that was quite the spectacular. And, and close right after that happened, Jezebel wanted to kill all the prophets and and Elijah went into a, a fit of panic. After what he'd seen God do, and yet oh, Jezebel's coming after the prophets, he went into this panic and fear. And God got after him. Now, let me tell you, it was 40 days it took for Elijah 
it took this journey to Horeb, or also Sinai. And when you read that story, you think, oh, does God know with that number 40? He is testing and he is purifying. He wants, he wanted to, he wanted to make sure that Elijah got back into the right frame of mind to trust God's power. And then, of course, Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, in the desert, 40 days and 40 nights. So just just a little tidbit there, I think, was kind of... So now, um, it said that uh, for 40 days and 40 nights, it was going to rain, and it did, and... But before, I just have to make sure I almost forgot, and this is such a big one, in the end of verse 16, and uh, it said the, the Lord shut the door. After he got the eight people on there, and he got all the animals on there, he shut the door. And if you've ever been to the creation, or to the, the ark, you know, for one thing, you're astounded at the size, but then... But then they've got that door that they really highlight, and there's no doorknob on it because God is in charge of the door. In Revelation 3, it says that, that what God opens, no, one, no man can shut. And what God shuts, no man can open. God is in charge of the door. And who is the door? It's Jesus. And it just speaks so loud of salvation. God put into motion the gospel. He put in motion his son, the sacrifice, the blood of his son. That, those are the terms. There, there are no other terms. Salvation is found in none other. So when someone tries to tell you that, that there are other ways to heaven or there, there's, you know, I, I, I sit in church and I do a lot of good things and I'm a nice person and all these things, you can't believe them. That is just not right because the terms are set. It's through Jesus And I wonder, you know, when all this was transpiring, and Noah, I think he did a lot of pondering. I think he, he did a lot. I mean, sure, there was plenty to do on that ark, I'm sure. But did he take some time maybe at night and think about that this, this ark, this barge, it was, it was the greatest catastrophe that hit the world at that time. And... It was the greatest judgment. The ark really is a symbol of the greatest judgment. Because God said, I've had it. Enough of this. This evil is going. But I wonder if he also thought, oh, wow, this, this ark, this barge, it's the greatest salvation. And I'm wondering too, you know, when I when I compare, and I, I know this whole testament is really to get our eyes to see how how Jesus was through it all, and think, you know, Jesus is our salvation. He absolutely is the only one, and with him, 
With him, we experience salvation, but without him, we experience judgment. And I thought, what happened then is going to happen again. The cross will be our salvation. The ark, we won't need that ark, but that ark represents, it's symbolic of the future cross that will do the same thing. It will be the greatest judgment because if you don't respond to the terms of what that cross means, then you will experience the greatest judgment. You will hear God say, I never knew you. And what do you mean you don't know me? And he'll say, I don't know your name. And remember that song I told you about? I still just love it. And when it says that he changed my name, my name was once too far gone. That was my name, too far gone. And Jesus changed it to save by grace. And only when your name has been changed. Did you ever sing that old hymn, there's a new name written down in glory, and it's mine. Oh, yes, it's mine. You know, when he changes your name, that's, that's the name he knows. So there was so much. There's just so much in this story. And I keep thinking of, of the gal that stopped me walking and said, oh, I didn't know if I wanted to study about old Noah. When, when it just represents the greatest thing ever. So he shut the door. And, and then another thing about that door, it's, there, there had to be times when those daughter-in-laws of Noah, you know, they had to have thought about their mom and dad or their brothers and sisters or whatever. And I'm sure that they, you know, they, they probably had a hooting time at family gatherings thinking that their, their kids were goofballs buying into this nonsense. I'm sure those girls were trying to say desperately, but believe it's going to happen. Our husbands have taught us well, and we trust God. And you come along. If you believe, you can come in. Ah, you're nuts. And then when God shut the door, I just sometimes wonder if those girls recognized any of the voices on the outside. Could they have heard their mom or their dad or brother or sister? We're sorry. We should have believed you. And too late. And those, those words should just give you chills all the way through your body. It was too late. He had given them plenty of time. I mean, look at right before the flood for almost a thousand years, he gave them a man named Methuselah, Enoch's son. He's the one that lived the longest on this earth, and he gave them plenty of chances to hear. And when Methuselah died, still only eight people went on that ark. There was plenty of chances. But then when that door was shut too late, and the same thing is going to happen, I mean, I think, you know, like I said before, if this isn't the beginning of the end, it is another big warning I do exactly what I say. And the day will come when it's too late. I can't even fathom that, can you? I mean, if that doesn't kick us into gear and make sure that we are not ashamed of the gospel or that we're embarrassed for what we stand for, 
because wonder is somebody doesn't make it because it's too late. There is going to be those two words said again. All right, then it says, uh, uh, verse 17, 40 days the flood kept coming on the earth, and as the waters increased, they lifted the ark high above the earth. The waters rose and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the water. They rose greatly on the earth, and all the high mountains under the entire heavens were covered. The water rose and covered the mountains to a depth of more than 20 feet. Boy, that's a lot of water, isn't it? Every living thing that moved on the earth perished. Birds, livestock, wild animals, all the creatures that swarm over the earth and all mankind, everything on the dry land that had breath of life in its nostrils died. Can you get any more complete or specific? I mean, it was like reading, it. I've read that, those same words almost three times, one to warn, <laughs> and then, then when they got on the ark, the Lord told them again, and then now this is, it, it happened exactly like that. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. Men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and the birds of the air were wiped out. From the earth only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. And the waters flooded the earth for 150 days. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. And he, and he sent a wind over the earth and the waters receded. But he remembered I wrote it in my Bible. Of course he did. Of course he remembered because he doesn't, he doesn't ever forget. And there's something about that word forget. I, I know it's just maybe semantics. It's just, but I just have a problem with that word forget. I think forget is a negative word. And I think it started, let me tell you what happened to me one year. There was a year that no one... Everyone forgot my birthday. I know, feel sorry for me. It was terrible. Everyone forgot my birthday. Tom, my boys, my mom and dad were out of town. My mom would never forget, but they were out of town. So, I mean, it was my brothers, nothing, not a card, not a happy birthday, not a gift. And I'm stubborn enough that I wasn't going to bring it up. I thought, let's just see what happens. And sure enough, not a word. And, you know, I, I remember that. I mean, because forgetting, he for, they forgot me. They forgot me. I'm not important. I'm not, I guess it don't mean much to them. They forgot me. So to me, forgot means a negative thing. It, it's hurtful. And I don't believe for one second that God is hurtful and that he forgets. Because if he forgets, because sometimes people say, well, he forgets my sins. Well, yeah, but the Bible doesn't use that word forget because in our human minds, that word is, if he forgets that, then is there something else he can forget? 
So there, it's just it's just me. I know it's just I don't like that word forget. I think it's it's negative, and I love the way even in scripture when it talks about our sin, of the Lord doesn't forget a thing. He he remembers. Of course, he remembered Noah. And even when we talk about our sins, the Bible says that. He remembers them no more. He chooses to remember our sins no more. He puts them as far back as the east is from the west. So far does he remove our transgressions from us, but it never says he forgets them. He remembers them no more. He doesn't hold them against us. Isn't that beautiful? But the word forget is not in there. He remembered Noah. He remembered all the animals, every last animal in there. And he sent, he sent the wind to just at the perfect time below to have the water recede. Verse 2, now the springs of the deep and the floodgates of the heavens had, had been closed and the rain had stopped falling from the sky. I mean, he even had the control of turning on the rain when he was supposed to and then he turned it off when he was supposed to. He has control of everything. The water receded steadily from the earth. At the end of the 150 days, the water had gone down and on the 17th day of the seventh month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat, a specific place in the Middle East. That ark landed on that mountain. The waters continued to recede until the 10th month, and on the first day of the 10th month, the tops of the mountains became visible, and after 40 days, Noah opened the window he had made in the ark and sent out a raven, and it kept flying back and forth until the water had dried up from the earth. This raven, isn't a raven notorious for being a scavenger? You know, I kind of, I first thought, you know, it's probably just a crow, but, you know, whenever you see a black bird on a roadkill, you know, that's my picture of, of a raven, you know, and it was having a heyday, that raven, because all the carcasses that were, you know, floating, and I don't know what the Lord, when the, when the water receded, it, it sounds like it was beautiful when they went out of, I don't know what happened to all those carcasses, but for now, the raven was just flying back and forth. He, he was, but you know what that reminded me of? Revelation 19. When, when Jesus said to John, write this down, because when, when Jesus comes on the white horse and he opens up his mouth and the, the words are the sword, his words, all he has to do is speak and all those lay dead, it says. And, and Jesus said to John, tell, tell the birds to come. They're going to have a smorgasbord like none other. And so when I thought that, even that correlation So then it says that after the raven went back and forth, then he sent a dove to see if the water had receded from the surface of the ground. But the dove could find no place to set its feet because there was water over all the surface of the earth. So it returned to Noah in the ark, and he reached out his hand and took the dove and brought it back to him. 
He waited seven more days and again sent out that dove from the ark. And when the dove returned in the evening, there, was, there in its beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. Not a branch, just that little detail of a freshly plucked olive leaf. Then no one knew that the water had receded from the earth. He waited seven more days and sent that dove out again, but this time it did not return to him. By the first day of the first month of Noah's 601st year, the water had dried up from the earth. Noah then removed the covering from the ark and saw that the surface of the ground was dry. You know, he was so patient. I mean, don't you think after a whole year, you're biting at the bit to get off this barge with all those animals? And it just took, again, waiting on the Lord's timing. By the 27th day, the second month, the earth was completely dry. Then, there's the, then God said to Noah, come out. Come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring out every kind of living creature that is with you. The birds, the animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground. So they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful, increase the number upon it. Start all over. Imagine that. Start all over again. So Noah came out together with his sons and wife and sons and wives and all the animals and the creatures that move along the ground, all the birds, everything that moves on the earth came out of the ark one kind after another. What a day. What a day that was. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and taken some of all the clean animals and clean birds. He sacrificed burn offerings on it. That's exactly right. That's why right. God knew that they wanted to give this sacrifice to him. And I would even dare say that they maybe had a couple of sacrifices on the ark too. I don't know. But there was just enough. God made sure they had just enough. But look what, look what it said. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of man, even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood. It's like God was saying, I am not going to curse the ground and do this flood like I did before. But look what he pretty much was admitting. He was saying, but it's going to go right back to where it was. Because every man's heart is evil. Every man's heart is evil. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. But it, you can't help but stop and think about that. Even though God knew that because from then on, I mean, from even from Adam and Eve, and once the fall happened, they were conceived in sin, born in sin. There's Everybody is a sinful human being. That's why we all have the same name, too far gone. And the only thing that can change that is being saved by grace. And so at the end, it says, he, and he will never go, he's never going to destroy all living creatures. But and then he closes this chapter, and as long as the earth endures, sea time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, 
It will never cease. I mean, how faithful is he? He keeps everything going, even though he knows. But what a lesson for us to correlate to the fact, and I hope you never forget, and I hope, I hope that you think about this, that the whole thing about that he controls the door. He controls, he controls the terms of the salvation. And then it's our choice. And how, how beautiful that ark then is symbolic of the cross. And as much as that ark was judgment and salvation, so the cross will be the same. But when you know, when you absolutely know that you without a doubt have taken that walk, that you're not just assuming that because you're, you sit in church, and I just can't say that enough. This is such a personal story. I want I look at that and I think if I was back then, I would want to be one of the eight. I would. I want to be number nine because I, I want him to look at me and see, because Jesus said, when I come back, am I going to find faith on this earth? He says that. He, he says, when I come back, the way things are going, because of every inclination of man's heart is, is evil, am I going to find any faith? People that are faithful to the gospel? That's something to think about. It really, truly is something to think about. And that's why, I mean, if I was back then, would I have been one of the eight? Would I have been one picked? So I know, I know that that is a goal. I pray it is for you too, that there's no question about your, your relationship with Jesus, that your desire is to continue to walk with him and you sense his presence. You listen, you obey, you trust him, even when it seems ridiculous. Instead of all your whining and bellyaching sometimes, you just, and Noah did everything as the Lord commanded. Oh, there's so many lessons. Heavenly Father, what a, what a good lesson tonight. Again, how but put ourselves in the story. And Lord, maybe if we learn anything tonight is that I never thought about that I wanted to be a Noah. I want that kind of trust, that kind of joy. I can take abuse and, and mockery and people's elbow jabs and that I dare make a stand for what I know is truth that doesn't ever change your word, never does. That I can be brave. Father, it truly was a great story tonight and may we always know your timing is perfect. You've never made a mistake that way and sometimes when we don't want to wait and Let's get the show on the road kind of attitude. Lord, help us to see that you've got everything, even what we're, what we're witnessing now with all of the trauma that's going on. You've got it in your hands. And we pray tonight for Israel. We pray for the people. Lord, help us to learn from that, that yes, someday there is going to be two words said to some unfortunate people who thought that they could live their life on their terms and they didn't need a Savior. They're going to hear too late. 
Father, thank you for this eye-opening old story that puts a whole new twist on reality for us. And it's up to us whether we're going to choose to see it. We pray it all in our Savior's name. Amen.